welcome back to season three of Techish We Back after a long break. I'm Michael Bahane, the CEO of People of Color and Tech.com. And I'm Abadesi, a puzzle crew, author of Dream Big, Hustle Hard, Millennial Women's Guide to Success in Tech. Oh, go get that book. Okay. <laughs> Amazon link in the bottom. And <laughs> yeah, before we start, just a quick word from our sponsors. And now we have sponsors now. We're professional people. Professional now. All the way to the top. Here Podcast we go. Host. <laughs> sponsors, take it away. Michael and I both know how hard it is starting out as first-time founders with a limited network and little access to capital. That's why we want to thank OneTech for sponsoring this episode of Techish. They're doing fantastic work supporting underrepresented tech founders in London, helping to change the face of startups in the city. One of their main goals is to double the number of female and black and minority ethnic-led tech startups raising investment through their parent entity, Capital Enterprise. They do this by connecting underrepresented entrepreneurs together and supporting them via mentorship, workspace, access to pre-accelerators and helping them get investment ready. So if you're in London, just starting out and in need of support, go to weareonetech.org and apply now. And tell them Tech sent you. <laughs> Blockstack is an open source network and development platform that makes it easy to build decentralized apps that can scale today. With Blockstack, users own and are in control of their information. And you know we care a lot about privacy at Techish. Yep, we do. And they're running a program called App Mining that rewards developers building apps on their platform, paying out 100k each month across all registered apps. You can get started now by going through Blockstack's Zero to DAP tutorial or just checking out how the program works. There are so many good stories that broke after we ended season two. I feel like... It would be remiss of us to not bring in at least one of those major headlines from the tech world. And that is the acquisition of Tristan Walker's Walker & Co. by Procter & Gamble. Recap time. This is where if I had an audio sound effect for confetti, I'd be pushing the button. (laughs) (laughs) I would would have like a DJ bomb sound. You keep a bomb like... Yeah. Um, but seriously, though, huge, huge, huge props to Tristan Walker and everyone in Walker & Co. I think he's got 15 employees um, for being acquired by Procter & Gamble. He started the company, what, like four to five years ago after yeah. his time as entrepreneur in residence at Andrew Horowitz. He basically addressed the fact that there are no razors, right? Originally, Bevel & Co., the first company, no razors for men with curly hair. He had suffered through this. He saw right. razor blades evolving in the consumer market, but never really actually addressing the need uh, of curly hair. Yeah. Um, and the reality of that experience was that ordinary razors on the market would create skin irritation, not just for him, but for other black people. So he started Bevel & Co. He then started another um, women-oriented beauty line called right. Form. And it was reported towards the end of last year that he was acquired by Procter & Gamble for an undisclosed sum Somewhere between 20 and $40 million. Michael, what's your take? My take is that Tristan has always been like a major inspiration to me. You know, he went from early employee at Foursquare. And I don't know if you know the story, but the hustle he showed to get in at Foursquare was just like, he was relentless. He kept emailing the CEO. Wow. He was a business school graduate. Like he had no real tech industry experience. And then the CEO, I think his name is Dennis Crawley, was like, mm-hmm. all right, cool. You know, you've harassed me enough. Like, <laughs> come down, like, we'll see what we can do kind of thing. Mm. And I think he, he actually pretended that he worked for Foursquare and approached companies saying, listen, let's sort this deal out. And then he would approach Foursquare and be like, look at what I've got for you guys. Like, so that's, wow. that's mad hustle right there. And then obviously he went to Tristan Horowitz, like you said, entrepreneur residence. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as an entrepreneur residence until I heard that he actually had that role. Amazing. I'm still with someone to hire me. If anybody wants me to just hang around <laughs> the office, like, you know, and just chit chat, I'm there. Like, Techish.fun. <laughs> basically, go. right? So, um, but in terms of this acquisition, I, I do have mixed feelings. Like, I, I'm, I'm so happy that, you know, not everyone gets acquired. That in itself is a success. That's yeah. not a joke. Like, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, it sounds like they return their investors their money. 
Um, but when you look in, in the space that he was in and the acquisition that um, Dollar Shave Club had, which was like, you know, in the billions, um, I can't help feel like he was, I don't have any inside information, but I feel like the industry wasn't really set up to support his vision, if that makes any sense. I don't think he could raise all the capital he needed to kind of build. He wanted to build the people of color for Procter & Gamble, essentially. And when you're not dealing in software and you're dealing in actual physical products, that's hard enough as it is. But then yeah. when you're doing something that's not targeted at the mainstream, that's targeted mm. at an audience that isn't represented in the VC community, yeah. full stop. It makes me feel like if it was a, a more generic product, mm. with the same CEO, he could have got further. That's interesting. That's why I'm a bit frustrated by it. But I'll get twisted. An acquisition is still goals. Like yeah. most entrepreneurs are never going to get acquired. Let's keep mm. it 100. And he's going to be this, uh, still in charge of Walker & Co. And he's going to do his thing under the Procter & Gamble umbrella. Yes. And I think someone in one WhatsApp group was saying like, yeah, maybe he'll be the CEO of Procter & Gamble one day. That would oh, be amazing. That would be goals. But yeah, what do you think about what I'm saying? Do you think I'm being harsh or is that... Um, I definitely think you're making a point there around like why can't founders from our community have those big exits, right? The yeah. way other founders do, right? Because yeah. ultimately you could be a white founder making a consumer product and people will just assume it's a product for everyone, right? Because right. that's yeah. the historical president, right? Like Gillette is owned by Procter & Gamble. Gillette had been making razors for donkey's years. Yeah, they yeah, iterated yeah. on those razors, Mac 3, Mac 4, Mac 1000, whatever. 100%. But Mac... Nth degree still doesn't suit black texture hair, right? right? That's why Tristan Walker had to enter the game. And I think when it, when we don't know the full story, it's so hard to say, like, yeah, probably maybe he was trying to fundraise another round. And then this became the most attractive offer. And there is definitely still, at least what I observe, some sort of belief that products made for black communities are niche communities. We'll talk. And what I think is a bit crazy about that is the fact that the United States will have more black and brown people in the next 20 to 30 years than white right. people. Yeah. The whole world already has more black or yeah, brown people exactly. yeah. than white people. So yeah. how, how are we all like buying into this false narrative that products for black people, brown people or whatever people, basically, you know, everyone else that they're niche Right. That's what I still can't quite wrap my head around. Yeah. Um, and that's quite frustrating. And if you have not read the New York Times piece um, on Tristan Walker uh, that was published around the time of the acquisition, I really encourage you to. Michael and I were looking it over. I mean, Tristan Walker is just a lesson in the power of resilience and hard work. Yeah. This is a guy that grew up in a single mom household. Straight from the hood. In Queens. Straight from, like, is literally Queens is from, like, where Nas is from and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, like, yeah, those yeah, are, yeah. like, the mean streets. Yeah. And Scholarships he way through, basically. slaved away. He talks about how going to, um, you know, array elite school through full scholarship and seeing people like the descendants of the Rockefellers and the Fords and, being exposed to that world made him realize I need to create wealth. Yeah. I need to create wealth if I really right. want to change the world because that's how they change the world to their vision. And he was like, it's not good enough for me to just want there to be products that serve um, black communities. I have to create money in order for me to create those things. And yeah. it's a really like, like powerful and moving account. Like he's an incredibly admirable person. He could have been an investment banker. He could have tried to create wealth that route. He talks about spending every summer interning at Goldman Sachs while he was at university. And then he just made this decision of, I just don't find value in the pure creation of wealth. Like I don't right, want to just yeah. make money for money's sake. I actually yeah. want to like make an impact, have a social impact. And I think everyone at the end of the day will 
act based on their values. Yeah. And I think what we are seeing based on what I can piece together is the fact that he had to decide how can I continue per- to pursue this opportunity to create products for my community that has like previously been underserved. Right. And it makes sense, right? Like to create consumer products, let's say versus software or something like that, you benefit from having economies of scale. Mm-hmm. You benefit from being in a large network. Yeah. I think like in the long term, it's a net positive for our community. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, undoubtedly. But to your point about like individuals who take the risk to be entrepreneurs, um, then being rewarded for doing it when they bet right mm. and they bet on the winning horse, that is a bit frustrating that he didn't come out. Yeah, because I think he had the winning horse. It was. I think there was a market opportunity. I think the execution was amazing. If you look at the design, even like the way they pioneered in the podcast space, like the amount of podcasts that they sponsored yeah. when that was still rel- relatively early and Bevel was known, like they even got name dropped in a Nas song. Nas was, a, was an investor. So it felt like right opportunity, right founder, but something just couldn't happen. And my only guess from the outside is that it was a funding issue. Mm. I saw him mention uh, a few years ago talking about how nobody wants to fund e-commerce anymore, essentially. Mm. Um, and... You know, maybe if he if he was here after a few drinks, maybe he would say also the niche that he was working on. Mm. Why I say the word niche? We, yeah, we, you mentioned don't use the word niche. I get that, but the area of the market that he was targeting yeah. is just you know wasn't ripe for funding based off the short sightedness of the investor community. Um, just to throw something into the mix, Maven. Um, Maven, right? Yeah, which focuses on black hair care and black hair right. products, uh, raised a rel- like a really big round ginormous yeah november last year so there's definitely appetite for it but it might be worth trying to dig a bit deeper into finding out um what have been the exits of black and brown founders over the last few years if any yeah you know do we see them getting all the way to ipo do we see them and i I literally live and breathe in the space and i can't think of one off the top of my head that went to IPO level, you're talking unicorn valuation. So unicorn, anybody doesn't know, is a billion dollar valuation. Yeah. I hate the term, but anyway, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where it's up. Um, One of the things I'll also add is just um, how incredible it is to think of Walker & Co as being a 15-person company. That's, that's crazy. That's a lean team that's, that's been able to team. dominate a global yeah. conversation. Completely. Like, across every community, someone has mentioned Walker & Co. I remember when Tristan tweeted that he was coming to London. Yeah, we tried to get him on and here. And that, we like, that tweet got, like, hundreds yeah. of replies from people yeah. like, yo, Tristan, like, let me buy you coffee. Come, let come me on buy our you podcast. Like, he was like, nah, I'm <laughs> bro. But he's a legend. He's a legend. Definitely within our world. Like, definitely, as in, there isn't a black entrepreneur, in my mind, who has set trend like he has. Mm-hmm. He set up Code 2040, um, which is the chairman of it, which is a non-profit that helps uh, black and Latinx engineers get into the Silicon Valley. And, and, and all kinds of techies and founders. Right, exactly. As well as pursuing his wealth creation, he's also giving back simultaneously. So he's just dominated everything. And um, I wish him the best for the next chapter. Interesting thing about his story, one last point is that he said he discovered Silicon Valley relatively late in his career, around 24, 25. Mm, when he was at Stanford Business School. Correct. Yeah, that's when he was like, oh, like there's this thing called Silicon Valley where people are doing apps <laughs> yeah. and they're, they're making a hell of a lot of money and, and changing the world. Like, I want to go there and find out what's up. Mm. And I hope the next Tristan Walker doesn't have to wait so long, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. They they're they're out there. At, they're listening. Yeah. Hopefully they're listening. Hopefully they're reading, you know, people of current tech. They're, they're following you. They're doing reading your book and they know from get-go and from the jump that text here and you could you have a space in it pursue those opportunities agreed uh, on a lighthearted Netflix story they actually are investing in a, more, a lot more original African I noticed some uh, <laughs> Hollywood films were coming up I was like logged into Netflix and I was like ah what's this yeah they got was it Lionheart they, yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. someone gonna... actually tweeted me about that holla 
Um, they're like, oh, you should watch this. It's really good. But, you know, growing up in a Nigerian family, I added it to my list. Haven't watched it yet, but I will. <laughs> Next time I'm feeling homesick, missing jollof rice, I'll be like, let me watch what's, some what's Lionheart. Queued up, what's queued up on your Netflix? Have you got any? So many things. I like to like anything that's like French, I'll always add because oh, I, I have to practice. Why? Because I feel like I'll lose my French language skills if I oh, don't so you listen had, to Oh, so you had some. I like studied French from when I was eight until like university and now I never use it. And so it's just so annoying. So I feel like anything that's like French and funny will like be on there. So like the hookup plan is a new sitcom. And that's French. It's in, yeah, it's based in Paris. It's hilarious. I recommend it. So that's on there. All Japanese kind of things as well. Because, you know, I love Japanese culture. Oh. Um, what else is on there? You're very international. Um, well, yeah, is there no I'm trash watching. on your show? Like you haven't got no like just junk... Oh, I have a lot of sitcoms. Like 22-minute comedy is like my favorite format by far. So things like IT Crowd and stuff like that, always on there. Mm. Rick and Morty, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm. But yeah, I'm definitely going to follow more like Niger stuff. I watched Wedding Party. That was like the only Nollywood What's film that? on there for ages. It was like one of the first high-budget, fancy, like Western-style She's doing air quotes. Nigerian speak, movies. Speak, basically. She's but like, it was actually like not so great. I mean... I. I just feel that like sometimes when you watch a Nollywood film, you actually want it for the over-the-top acting yeah, and the yeah, yeah, yeah. bad effects, visual effects and all this kind of stuff. And so yeah. watching something so polished and glossy just made me like miss kind of all lost that the shine, stuff. basically. Yeah. Oh, How that's, about you? That's What's funny. on your Netflix list? That's a good question, actually. I was watching, um, I've forgotten her name. Marie, Con is it Marie Kondo? Yeah, The Art of Tidying. <laughs> the Art of Tidying, like, and... I'm into minimalism as well. So my girlfriend was like, yo, watch the show. You might like it. And then um, it actually started a big controversy on Twitter because mm. her thing is, listen, if it doesn't spark joy, whatever that means, get rid of it. Wow. So she recommends that if you've got like a cabinet full of books and mm. you haven't read them in ages, yo, like and it's not sparking any joy. Yeah. Get rid of it. And I a lot of book readers, myself included, kind of triggered. I'm like, yo, like this is my <laughs> library. We don't, we can't throw this away. I might read this one day. I haven't read it in eight years, but one day it might be <laughs> yeah. useful. Like, you never know. Like, you might just be like, oh. I always wanted to know about, you know, whatever. And you just pick it off the shelf. So, um, that's funny. But yeah, that's a good show. I, I, um, what about The Minimalist? There's actually... That a was a good... I saw that as well. That's okay, a good documentary. Cool. Are you a minimalist? I remember... I'm I'm trying to be. Yeah, I, I I'm are. not going to pretend that I'm I'm there yet. You've yeah. been to my house. You see yeah, that? I have see. some stuff. Yeah, you got shit. Oh my god, that's that's cold. I tidied <laughs> as well. So that's me. That's me when I'm tidy. Um, let's jump back into 2019. One story that made lots of waves. Second week of January, uh, a New York Times piece uh, written by a number of people that form an organization called Zebras. United. Yeah, correct. So this is a very anti-unicorn movement. So anti-building billion-dollar companies, but rather pro-building profitable, sustainable companies. And the message of this article is that increasingly founders have a very popular message to tell venture capitalists, which is, we don't want your money. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> um, and a good friend of ours, Ania Williams, the Shout founder of Black and Brown Founders, a nonprofit based out of the U.S., contributed to this article amongst a number of other incredible activists and founders and really thought leaders across the tech space. And I think it was such an interesting note to start the year, given 2019 is going to see a lot of IPO activity, right? right. So we are going to see a lot of exits and we a lot there. of tech millionaires made over the yeah. coming months. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we have uh, on the other side of the coin, founders who are rejecting VC money, even going as far as buying out their yeah. investors so, so that they Wistia, can regain independence and control. Buffer. I'm just throwing the names out. Please, yeah, go for it. Yeah, that's all I got. Go on, shoot. So um, 
I guess the reason why I want to bring this up is because I know a lot of people listening are aspiring founders and you're probably going through this thought pattern yourself now. Will you say yes to outside investment so you can scale, so you can grow, so you can sustain and survive? Maybe you're not even in an economic position where you can bootstrap. That's always a big reality, right? Conversely, are you going to follow this new wave? Are you going to jump on this movement and not focus on growth at all costs, not focus on trying to be a monopoly and accept the reality that 99% of VC-backed companies end up with diddly squat? Yeah. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts? It's inherent in the VC model that most startups are going to fail. So um, essentially when you're a startup founder and you take VC funding, you're playing a lottery ticket. You're saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the one that makes it. And the VC... Um, doesn't have those <clears throat> the VC doesn't have those odds because they're betting across a wide spectrum of companies so to yeah. them it's like as long as one makes it we all good kind of mm-hmm. thing and I don't think there's anything wrong with that model per se if that's what, if you go into that with your eyes wide open um, but I do think Zebras United I think it's Zebras United sorry I'm making it sound like a football team Zebras United <laughs> and um, Black and Brown Founders so the work that NIA is doing across both organisations is necessary because A some communities don't have access to VC funding full stop so it's out of necessity that you mm. have to figure out ways to not work in the VC paradigm mm. so I mean when we went to Black and Brown Founders where we were um, MCing, there were some great talks about like you know people were asking questions how do I get funding and the, the mm. person on stage was like yo like this ain't for, for that because yeah. more times than not it's, you're not getting funding because such an infinitesimal small number of companies that get funded in that manner and if you're locked into that network, into that Silicon Valley, you know, and predominantly boys club, yeah, it's money's raining down on you, but more times than not, that's, that's not going to be you. Um, yeah. So I think it's a necessary thing. And and it's not just about who has access to that, that model. It's also about, is that model necessarily the right one? I don't know. Agreed. So for example, it might, I'll make it personal about me. So people of color and tech.com, I've toyed with the idea of raising money. And I just, just thought, I don't want to have to crash and burn if this doesn't work. Yeah. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. But I also understand on the flip side that we're lucky in the sense that we found a revenue model pretty quickly that worked and mm-hmm. not everyone's going to be able to do that. Exactly. I mean, do you know what I mean? And also when I started it, like I was being, being frank, I was still living at home. So I could take a few more risks. If you're out here with a full-time job, paying the bills and paying the rent, you might be like, yo, I need funding so that we can try something. Yeah. A bit more risky here. Mm. You know, I'm not, you might be doing some kind of social network or something that yeah. needs a few years before it gets popping. Of course. And before you can charge money. So Hardware? Yeah, hardware. Like I mean, so many things. Right, yeah. Because I think, uh, bring it back to Ania, she had a hardware business and that's how she had these really great necklaces that kind of doubled up as headphones. And she had to go to China and spend a lot of money and raise a lot of money to make it happen just to get a prototype. And then obviously, if the prototype doesn't work, <laughs> then you've got to go back and get the prototype exactly. working again. So it costs money. So just one last point. I wanted to also shout out um, Indie VC because they're like a, a new VC firm and they work on the presupposition that, listen, we'll invest in your startup mm. like a normal VC would, but we want a percentage of the profits as opposed to we're not here saying exit, exit, exit. And I think that's what, stops me from raising money in the sense that I might not want to exit. I might want this to be a legacy business mm. where I can hand this down or, or always have a guiding hand in its thing. I might, cause like a lot of companies that exit, we can name the company. Like to me, apart from Instagram, WhatsApp, YouTube, a lot of companies that get sold, they don't become what they once were. They, 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 they get lost within a yeah. corporate, you know, setup, and mm. it's not necessarily what the entrepreneur's vision is. And because my vision is quite personal to me, I don't necessarily know if I want to hand, hand over the reins and just say, let this die in the corner. Um, so I would I would much rather have a system where there was more VCs that offered listen we want you to be profitable and yeah. you can pay us back via those profits and hey presto you get the investment and you also don't have to 
suffer from your vision being, you know, misaligned, changed or shut down. Agreed. One of the points that um, I think is also really important to remember when you are making that decision as an entrepreneur is what contribution do you want to make to the world? Like not just to yourself as an individual or Mm. just to your household or even your local community, but really that legacy, thinking about the world. I had an opportunity to chat with Anne Mura Co. recently for Product Hunt Radio, and she is the founding partner of Floodgate, Mm. which is seed stage VC fund in Palo Alto. She is also one of the founding members of All Raise, which is a nonprofit trying to increase representation of women at founder level and VC level. And she said that one of the guiding principles at Floodgate, which I found um, so compelling, was how do we ensure that the tech we are creating and the problems we are solving create prosperity for everyone, Mm. right? Not just prosperity for one group or one subset of individuals, but really truly at a top, top line, create prosperity for all. And Mm. what Zebras United are addressing is the fact that if we really want to improve the lives of, let's say, marginalized, underrepresented, low income, you name it, groups of people, Mm. the VC model in and of itself isn't necessarily doing that Mm. because the probability of success is so low, Mm. right? So yes, you do have that 1% chance you may become the next Mark Zuckerberg billionaire, whatever, completely disrupt a whole world economy Mm. market, whatever. But you're more likely, as you say, going to spend X number of years ultimately not achieving anything and bringing Mm. a number of people's lives with you and you come out of that and you haven't created jobs. Right. You haven't created wealth. Mm. You haven't created prosperity, you may have made some already rich people slightly richer if your earliest investors were able to come out at least break even or slightly on top. Yeah. But if you actually think of it on a really, really macro level, like what what have you really done? Conversely, you create a profitable, sustainable business, you'll pay corporation tax that will go into public services. Mm. You will grow at a healthy pace, meaning you can hire, but also retain people. So you're giving people benefits like healthcare that they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford. Right. That goes into their households. That helps their children. They can send their children to school. You can improve the quality of their lives. They can improve the quality of the lives of the people around them. And you're doing it in a sustainable way. It's not mm. like Enron right. or some mad stuff like that, where it's just yeah, like yeah, crash yeah, and burn, yeah. crash and burn. And I think that maybe we as individuals should actually think about prosperity a bit more mm. and think about who really prospers. Cause I feel like if, if we hold companies accountable to that more, then we shouldn't have as many surprises down the road. You mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause I think it's very easy to see whether a company is optimizing for just money at all costs. I don't care who's in the way mm. or a healthy type of growth. That's also taking into account the different groups we're impacting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to argue against ourselves, I feel like there is always going to be a space for those kind of hyper growth companies of course right so like i don't think you'd get an uber or a lyft Mm -hmm. or you know a whatsapp or you know uh you know an instagram without that kind of vc model there's two new sequels coming out that Uh, i am i'm kind of excited but it's kind of mixed reviews because i'm like why can't we leave it lie so there's bad boys free Uh, not sure wow i'm down coming to america part two oh my God. I went to Zamunda. I can't wait. I think they saw that Black Panther money. They were like, Just everybody. They saw that Wakanda song. money. They were like, we want that Zamunda money. <laughs> that, that film, I had that on VHS. Watched it so many times. 
Just let your soul glow. That's my you tune. know that advert? Yeah, of course. Don't sing it though, please. No, 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 no. <laughs> I got invited to like a Come to America party. That's such like, a good theme. Coming to America themed wedding. The thing is, that's the one. I took it seriously. So, and I actually couldn't make it. But when I said, okay, what do you mean by coming to America? She's like, oh, you know, just come in like African garments. I was like, no, I want to come as the boyfriend with the Jericho. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> if you're going to say it's a movie exactly. for you, I'm coming as the characters from the movie or I'm coming up in the McDowell, you know, yes. the McDowell costume. No, like, you know yeah. who you should have showed up as? <laughs> Sexual chocolate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sexual yeah, chocolate. Yeah. He, Sexual that was Eddie Murphy as well. That took me ages to realise. Yeah. yeah. Um, Eddie Murphy's everyone in the everyone, barber shop. Yeah. Pretty much everyone, yeah. Joe Frazier. Yeah. You tell Joe Frazier to be Muhammad Ali. Oh, man. Rocky Masiano. Rocky that's their one. Rocky Masiano, that's their one. Let's just do what comes to America for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> but yes, how do you loved, feel? But to be loved. Oh, what a feeling. To be loved. <laughs> what's the next quote? What's the next line? Someone says to shut up. That's yeah, what I'm yeah, yeah. Shut, shut up. up yeah. <laughs> so are you happy that these sequels are happening? Or are you like... Hello, are you listening to me right now? Are you come listening on. To Eddie Murphy's right like now? 70 now. I don't care. I'm still laugh. I'm going to oh, go there. I'm going to give him my money. Although, to be fair, he did some shady stuff with Mel B. Uh, okay. He denied okay. his paternity right of the child. I keep receipts. <laughs> I keep receipts. You know, intersectional feminists write her. So like, maybe I kid. won't actually. Maybe I won't. But the thing is, we need. Okay, one. Like, let's just have it. I mean, they're on the like fifteenth Avengers for goodness sake, and the thirteenth yeah, whatever else. Like, yeah, what is true. it in normal Activity number twenty five? Yeah, Come on now, true. we're gonna get Bad Boys three. After like 15 years, I'll take it. I'll take it. Coming to America too. After feel, like 31 years or something, I'll take it. <laughs> You're going to watch it. Yeah, I'm going to organize a techish outing and you know you'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. VIP I'll be ticket, there. I'll meet be and greet. I don't know, man. Sometimes I'm just like, leave it live. So, wow. So, we've got Bad like, Boys. Space Jam. Have not forgotten Space Jam is coming. Still ain't seen the first one. You know when I went to America? Don't you know, even look at me, man. We went to like... Uh, look away. After we went to Black and Brown Founders Affiliate, I went to New York just to fill the audience in. So, I was like, I went to this Black Tech meetup. And some of them listened to Techish. They were like, yo, man, I can't believe you ain't seen Space Jam. Yeah, because like, that's the I was just like, oh, man, this, this podcast is following me everywhere. Like, I can't live it down. You, Anyways. I, all I'm saying is your loss. My your loss for loss. real. My loss for real. Anyways. Okay, what film should there be a reboot for that there has not been a reboot for? Ah, oh, that's difficult, man. Ideally, a black culture film. Okay, ideally, a black culture film. A reboot or a remake. I want them to remake Grease, but with a black cast. That's what oh, I want. That's what would I'm it be thinking. called Grease? No. Hair Grease. Afro pick. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, that would be sick. That would be fun. That would be cool. Um, but then why do we have to make a white, black version of a white thing? Couldn't there be something original? You could argue. I don't know. Mm. What about you? Do you have any in mind? Or you just throw it out? Let's put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't have an answer, answer, did you? No. You ain't got the answer, sweet. All right, no. think about it. Let us know. Dreamgirls too. That was good. That was good. But, but Dreamgirls is a play. Like, this is what happens, yeah? They'll make something based off like a book, a play, whatever, whatever. And then they'll be like, we've got to do a sequel. So they'll make something, they'll rush something mm. in. And it's, the songs ain't going to be as good as the what songs from Dreamgirls. Insecure the movie. That they should do cool. that. Yeah, or Atlanta the movie. But I feel like TV now is the space that everybody is really like innovating in. Oh yeah, check out Tech Bay. Like, I'm looking forward to that. Is yeah. it out actually? The trailer's out and they're fundraising right now on ifundwomen.com. Check them out. Tech yeah, Bay so Tech Bay is a Twitter. web series about... Uh, black girl techie who's building an app called bay to kind of solve her dating problems it's kind of like insecure me like but for tech and it seems it's really hilarious cool, right? the actress and writer fixie is one of the most talented people and we ain't getting paid to say this 
This is a no. Plug. This is free. Straight I just want plug. that to be my new favorite show. And unless <laughs> you put money in it, it's not going to happen. Uh, but you need to hurry up and get rich and fund all this stuff. Like, just what get do you rich. Think I'm doing this for. That's yeah, true. <laughs> By the way, you, have you seen that? There's a website now where you can invest in people. That's so freaky. That's so freak. Invest in people. What? As freaky? in, I own Dude, equity I'm in doing, you. I'm doing a shout out. You I, just I, said I need to get rich. So. So what? I have to. <laughs> so for example, I could invest in you. Yes. So I'd be like, hey, Abba, here's like five hundred pounds. I own one percent of Abba. Shares are going ten k a pop right now. Getting for early. a person. <laughs> I, you I, said I, the price yourself. You said the price yourself. How much, how much would you put yourself down for? I just told you now. Ten Gs. Yeah, for one. For one share? Yeah. Lord have mercy. You get 0.05% equity. I know. I need to sell some pocket equity. I'm already a unicorn. That's what I'm trying to tell you, right? So then how do you get paid out then? When I go public. (laughs) (laughs) You just made this up. This is a real company. It it actually is a real company. I'm I'm joking about how you like realize your funds, but it's real. It's real. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So Abba. Yo. Can you imagine getting exposed by the way? Mm. The Oracle and Palantir got exposed. Let me give you the breakdown. <laughs> this made me laugh. Like they, they got, they were acting like a three-year-old child with cookies on their face, and they were like, "I didn't eat the cookie." <laughs> they were like, "Because obviously Palantir does a lot of um, government, contracts. government contracts. So there's a law apparently which I didn't know that you have to like, if asked, you have to release your diversity stats. Mm-hmm. How many women have you got in your company? In your boardroom? How many people of color you have? Yeah. Demographics? Yada yada yada. So. Someone was like, and it's, I think it's Reveal News. Yes. That's the platform. They worked really hard and were like, yo, you have to, we want to know. And they, and they what, sued. They sued, in fact. So what did Oracle and Palantir say? They were like, if we tell you our stats, it's a competitive disadvantage. People will steal our talent. Mm. So it's our best interest to keep this a secret. Yeah? Mm. On face value, it kind of makes sense. That's jargon, man. Mad jargon. But mm. you could make like, you know what I mean? But thankfully, they pushed ahead with the court case or the, the lawsuit and eventually they had to kowtow and they just were like you know what actually the reason why we don't want to reveal it is because they're really bad ain't, ain't nobody here I don't That's think it. they admitted to that I think they just gave the numbers and then revealed news it's was abysmal. like oh wow these are really really bad stats like no women of colour in leadership one woman in all of your leadership what a joke. single digit percentages people of colour uh, claims of like actively discriminating against black and brown people. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty frightening. For me, it's kind of like the lengths that one is willing to go to to avoid hiring women and black people and brown people. Mm-hmm. It's like if you just divert some of this energy to actually cluing yourself up on privilege and inclusion strategies and, you know, working with communities that represent the identities lacking in your workforce mm. you would be solving the problem instead you're choosing right. to like put energy into justifying what is ultimately your sexism and racism like yeah you know that that that's how i interpret it as yeah as a woman of color that's what i see i was like you're, you're doing a lot of this yeah, yeah mouth gesture s- gesture talking yeah. talking but no action and then the action you do decide to take is just a way to like cover yourselves up i think if anyone hasn't read this this story, please Link do. In the show notes. Um, Oracle and Palantir. Um, and I'm guessing if you're listening, like it's probably not surprising because you might be a person of color and you're like, oh, I don't know anyone who that works at Palantir. That works there. <laughs> um, but what was even more worrying to me is the fact that to avoid sharing diversity stats around um, gender balance. Um, and obviously like the whole spectrum of like gender identities and stuff like that, or sexual orientation, um, ab- abilities slash disabilities, right. race, 
socioeconomic background. Yeah. People are now saying, oh, we are taking into account political diversity. Ideological diversity is what they call Ideological it. diversity. <laughs> there we go. So basically, like, that just means Such you BS. don't have to change anything, but just start asking, We've you know, Trump Brad, hey, <laughs> which, which Brads are a Democrat and which Brads are a Republican? Right. Okay, cool, great. We've got our diversity stats. And the funny thing is, though, the reason why it's complete non sequitur, and I'm using a big word there. I'm not sure if I use it correctly, but anyways, you, the reason why is that if you want to guarantee that you have ideological diversity, it makes more sense to, to get the most amount of people from different experiences. And the way to, and one way of doing that is by focusing on the diversity that me and you particularly focus on, mm. which is gender and racial. Like, if you want to know what somebody, if you want the thought process of somebody who grew up in the Bronx, a single black mother, for example, what is the likelihood of her having a different thought process versus two guys that grew up in a country club? Like, mm. obviously, like, do you see what I mean here? It's yeah. Obviously, it makes no sense. Um, and what saddens me about the story is that the transparency that we, all of us now kind of demand in companies in terms of their stats yeah. was there so that we can hold them accountable and force them to kind of, not force them, but let them have an external pressure to improve. But now it's become a thing where people are so unwilling to, are so unwilling to have the negative PR that they're trying to hide it. Yeah. And that's what's happened now. They didn't want the bad PR. Yeah. They couldn't give a damn about trade secrets or keep it down about improving, moving the needle. They just mm. like, we don't want the bad PR. Mm. So, and so I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. I don't know what, like, you know, I'm glad that, shout out to Reveal for, for doing, for revealing. For digging, pun. yeah. Yeah, for, for digging. That was, that's actually really great journalistic work. Oh, like, of course. That's amazing. And you know, I'm a, a suit. prevention is better than cure. If you don't want bad PR, then just hire people of yeah. other backgrounds. Right. It's as easy as that. Like you're investing in ski retreats, bridges <laughs> full of LaCroix, God knows what else. Just invest in sending your leadership on some serious diversity and inclusion training so that they can understand why your teams aren't diverse by default in the first place. Invest some money in communities that represent LGBTQIA people, Latinx people, Black people, women, parents, all the different groups. Mm. And before you know it, you're not going to have to be hiding anything because instead you can be talking about all the great measures you're taking to be more representative. Real talk. It's not hard story um regarding r kelly and you know actually because we talked about him not that long ago maybe about six months ago we were talking mm. about how spotify has decided to mute him from their official playlists mm. he's still on the platform but he's just not on the official playlist now there's been a really uh, great documentary that i haven't had a chance to watch in the uk um called surviving r kelly and it's just gone into depths of just how sick and twisted this dude is like and all the things that he's done to women over the years particularly black women yeah um so now question remains like i mean did you watch the documentary like or have you been following the whole thing like are you i've been you watching have... the conversation unfold in various whatsapp groups i'm in twitter groups i'm in i'm not ready to watch it yet if i'm yeah. honest i feel like i'm already quite like immersed in the work of like yeah intersectional feminism and stuff like that so i am definitely going to watch it but i've seen clips yeah i've seen clips i've obviously read the news stories as they as they went out i was disturbed to see that like plays of his music or like downloads of his songs were actually going up by people that <sighs> whose like yeah. curiosity was piqued and stuff like that. I think for me, it's just another reminder of how black women's voices don't seem to carry the same weight in society as other identities. 100%. And we really need to address that. We 100%. really need to take a long, hard look at ourselves and ask ourselves why we don't believe black women, why we don't listen to black women, why we don't value black women 
if you look at the data, let's say, uh, from McKinsey's Women in the Workplace study, right? They publish this every year, mm. often in partnership with Lean In. One of the questions was like, I feel like my manager supports me and my needs and the variance of responses according to race were crazy. Yeah. It's something like 42% of white women agreed compared to like 40% of like Asian and Latin Latino women compared to like 30% of black women. I mean, these aren't exact stats, but like I'm giving you like the right. Yeah, yeah, like it, it yeah. drops, you know, 5% yeah, yeah, it drops by, a lot. Um, by race. And I just, uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because this is something that we've known about for a while. And I think again, just in terms of like, throwing that lens on society, we really need to think about our relationship with power. Yeah, You know, talk. because this is another example of a very powerful man mm. who with his power, with his talent, you know, he is a talented singer-songwriter. He's sick, yeah. but he has talent. He is able to create money mm. and also help other artists create money. Mm. And I think very similar to Weinstein, what we've seen is people just looking the other way in the pursuit of their own personal success and yeah. money. I think it's worse than that because obviously people in the industry have that financial motive. But, you know, everybody done knew that R. Kelly tried to marry Aaliyah when she was like 15. For years, I've been hearing about that since I was a kid. Mm. And then everybody knew there was the famous tape. And, you know, he got found not guilty in court. And the circumstances around that are mad fishy. This is going back to like early 2000s. Yeah. So everybody knew this guy was dodged from day. Mm. But we, a lot of people, and I probably have to say myself, and general society, we were all complicit in the sense that we just turned a blind eye. We were just of like, course. the music's good. You know, it's popping yeah. in the club. You know, yeah, I've heard this, but this, that, and the third, who cares? Mm. And I'm glad that this exists, this, this mm. moment is happening now, kind of like to hold him accountable. Another exciting story that happened in January of this year were the WeWork Creator Awards finals mm-hmm. in sunny LA. A lot of famous judges on that panel. Diddy. Diddy. <laughs> Show me the kitchen. I thought I told you that we won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. <laughs> He Bad really boy for ain't life. stopped. He really ain't stopped. He's no. been, he said that 20 years ago and he's, I know. he's still grinding. Anyway, still, sorry, carry still on. Still going. <laughs> Every step after. Anyway. Um, Diddy, Gary V, mm-hmm. Ashton Kutcher mm-hmm. were there to decide who would be the final finalist, like receiving all the big checks. And a UK homegrown company. London peeps. Afrocentrics. Yeah. Won second prize. Awesome. Woo-hoo! They won in London. They won in London. And then and this they won global again. one. So they won like 500 Gs basically. Like yeah, over the course of the year. For the hair care brand, right? Yes. All natural black Check them out. Afrocentrics started by two female founders who were friends. Noticed whilst they were at university that most of the hair care products they used for their hair contained a number of toxic ingredients. Mm. Unhealthy, unnatural things. And they thought, we can do better. So let's just start. And they literally just started making new recipes for products at home Eight years later, they are one of the first uh, Afro hair care brands to be stocked by Whole Foods. Dope. Uh, and yeah, they're global domination. Like they're loved by their fans. Everyone I know subscribes to their products. I've used some of their products. They're great and well-deserved. So shout out them. By the way, Rachel, one of the co-founders, when she pitched in London, um, nine months pregnant, on stage, gave birth to her son a few days later. The hustle is real. The hustle First episode of season three of Techish. Tech-ish. You know what to do, guys. Use the hashtag Techish. Hashtag Leave tech-ish. a review. Um, Share. We really love them when you give, drop us reviews on iTunes. As detailed as possible, please. And tell a friend. Share, like you said. Subscribe. Subscribe. What um, can we do better? Let oh, us know. We're also on Spotify as well now. So, if, yeah, so if you listen on Apple and you're like, I want to be on Spotify instead. Oh.
change the app and listen to the remaining of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. Anything else you want to shout out about? Just that we love you. Bye. Yeah. See you next week. Hashtag Turkish. Bye.